0: D twenty radio, your gamer's role. wwwd 20 radiocom Who are they?
1: The guardians of the wheels. Staggering Dragon presents Guardians of the Wills, a Star Wars Legends podcast. And now, here are your two hosts, Neil and Dustin.
0: Hey, everybody, I'm Dustin. And I'm Neil, and welcome to the Guardians of the Wills podcast. So, today we're going to talk about The Last Command, the last book in the trilogy we've been talking about. But before we get there, there has been some talk out in the out in the world about the potential of an obi wan Kenobi everybody's favorite Ewan McGregor character <laughs> getting his own television show or series or short mini series on the on the Disney app when that happens. how excited does that make you or not excited at all um
1: I, I think it's uh, I think it's exciting just from the standpoint of getting some more Star Wars out there to consume, uh, yes. m- which I'm always a big fan of. I read the Obi Wan book by John Jackson Miller a while back, mm-hmm. which took place, you know, when he was on Tatooine watching over Luke, and I'm assuming that's what this TV show would be about. And I'll be honest with you, the book was, it was okay. It was, kind of had like a Western feel to it, which was kind of cool. But it didn't really make any difference in the grand scheme of anything. Right. And I just worry that having Obi-Wan on Tatooine is kind of, I I don't know how many stories you're going to be able to tell out of that situation, because... How often is he actually going to leave Tatooine? Mm-hmm. And Tatooine is the furthest thing from the bright center of the galaxy. <laughs> so heard. how much is going to come to Tatooine for him to, you know, have anything to do with? It's just kind of,
0: I don't know. Yeah. I think, uh in my mind, it, it always comes down to, well, what did he do while he was there? Maybe he went to some towns and Tatooine and solve problems did some super heroic things but then you start thinking well how realistically how often could he have done that before it started you know being a thing that there was a Tatooine vigilante running around solving yeah. problems so then it starts to make you think if you pile too much of that stuff in it, it starts to feel like stuff is not believable. however I am very excited about it and I will watch it if it if it's the truth I will be ready. So, anyhow, well, enough of that.
1: A long time ago, in a galaxy far,
0: far away, we came to talk about The Last Command by Timothy Zahn. It's the third book in, a tr- in the trilogy um, that we have been talking about recently, so we're going to get to finally see how everything wraps up, so if you don't mind, would you give us a quick synopsis of the book?
1: I sure can. Let me grab my, my trusty paperback here. The Last Command. The embattled Republic reels from the attacks of Grand Admiral Thrawn, who has marshaled the remnants of the Imperial forces and driven the rebels back with an abominable technology recovered from the Emperor's secret fortress, clone soldiers. As Thrawn mounts his final siege, Han and Chewbacca struggle to form a coalition of smugglers for a last ditch attack against the Empire while Leia holds the Alliance together and prepares for the birth of her Jedi twins. Overwhelmed by the ships and clones at Thrawn's command, the Republic has one last hope, sending a small force led by Luke Skywalker into the very stronghold that houses Thrawn's terrible cloning machines. There, a final danger awaits. The Dark Jedi Sabaoth directs the battle against the Rebels and builds his strength to finish what he had already started, The Destruction of Luke Skywalker.
0: Ba-ba-ba. Alright. So there we go. We're off and running. We know we're in the third act, as it were. So, to start out right away, one thing that I get really into about these books is how they totally embrace the clones when at the time there was nothing really about clones you know we obviously hadn't had episode 1 yet or anything like that to where George Lucas had fleshed out the clones at all. So mm-hmm. I liked that they embrace it. It starts out right away with the empire going after food producing planets in order to feed their new batch of clones. So they're they are really showing the clones as, you know, not just a one throwaway line like it would feel like in the original trilogy and it talks about Luke and Card even seeing clones and all that kind of stuff and how do you feel about Mm -hmm. the clones and how they're portrayed and not that you just don't go up and talk to clones but still how they're portrayed in
1: this (laughs) i think it's pretty interesting based on like kind of what you talked about when you think about the prequels and what george lucas did with the clones and how it was like you said just a throwaway line that obi-wan says your father and i fought in the clone wars and that was all we ever heard and we never knew what the clone wars were Or really what clones were all about. Yeah. And Timothy Zahn kind of goes in and starts to flesh all that stuff out. And some of the stuff that I found interesting is when Luke and Card, you know, are kind of trying to track down these clones and seeing them for the first... Well, it's not Luke's first time. I guess it's Card's first time of actually seeing the clones. They talk about how long it takes them to get made. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about, like... Within a month, mm-hmm. they're cranking out clones, which is pretty crazy. And uh, Card Card thinks that's pretty crazy, too. So this is totally unusual for these clones to be made this quickly.
0: And it's really neat that that's brought up as well. That always I always thought that was neat that that was the idea they went straight to, because that is something that is explored later on. In episode mm-hmm. one, you know how long it takes to... Get a clone up and running.
1: Right. So Luke and Card end up going down a couple of the different paths to track down the source of these clones. Um, they, they go their, their separate ways. Luke ends up getting uh, a Star Destroyer basically comes into play. Then Luke has to try to get out of that mess. And he does it by having a freighter with his X-Wing sitting inside of it. And he jumps into the X-Wing and takes off while the Star Destroyers try to destroy the freighter that he was in. And he gets out of that sticky situation. And one little thing I thought was kind of interesting is he needs to get his X-Wing refueled before he goes anywhere else. So he, he does a little quick scan of nearby systems. And he mentions Kessel. And this is totally in passing, but he mentions Kessel and Maruth Duel as a place to not go because Han said that he didn't trust Duel. And we're going to find out here pretty quickly in our line of podcasts uh, what Duel is all about and Kessel. And it always made me wonder how much Kevin J. Anderson and Timothy Zahn were in cahoots with each other at this point in time when when Zahn was writing The Last Command. And you know how much Kevin J. Anderson was on board he he i mean it it seems like he was, yeah, and they were you know trying to tie some stuff together
0: it does but
1: uh, I thought that was pretty interesting.
0: it is interesting, and it makes you think that so by this point in writing the last command, they must have pretty well been on board with the fact, okay, this is gonna happen. we're gonna have a whole nine trillion book series. <laughs> of Star Wars and what happens afterwards. It does make you kind of feel like that probably is the case by that point. Interestingly, when Luke Luke needs to get fuel, he decides to go to Honegar, where the Dogri are. And uh I always thought that was pretty neat because, you know, it's a conscious decision. He could have probably gone to other places, but he went there. And then their reaction to him is also very interesting because you know he's the son of vader just like leia is the daughter of vader and all that so they respect him and they want to help him but they're also open with the fact that he's putting them in danger by showing up but will definitely still help you and uh, it's just another example of the Nogri and how i guess loyal they are to to those they choose to be loyal to yeah it's a neat situation but he does put out the effort to to be done there as quickly as he can right is out of respect Yeah, so Luke goes off to Honiger and we flash
1: back to Coruscant where Leia gives birth to Jaina and Jason. In that order. In that order, that's right. And those two solo kids end up playing a ginormous role in Legends as we know it from this point forward. Uh, They're either a MacGuffin where somebody's trying to kidnap yeah, them. Yeah, they are. <laughs> or they end up being...
0: Force ghosts are coming, Sith ghosts are coming after them.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or they end up being, you know, the focal point of the entire series. Right. At, at one point for a very, very long time.
0: Now, I have a question. Did you listen yeah. to... Have you listened to the uh, audiobook of The Last Command? I haven't.
1: I did, yeah.
0: How do they pronounce Jaina and Jason's name?
1: Names? I'm pretty sure it's just Jaina and Jason. God one, Han told her, his voice sounding strangely breathless. It's he craned his neck. It's our daughter. He looked back at Leia. The tension in his face plastered over with the lopsided grin she knew so well. Jaina! Leia nodded. Jaina. she repeated. Somehow, the names they decided on never sounded quite the same as they did right now.
0: What about Jason? Offhand,
1: I'd say he's anxious to join his sister, the medic said dryly.
0: That's, that, is, that should be how it is. And every now and then, I'll hear somebody say, Jacob, instead of Jason. No. And that makes me want to <laughs> attack them with my hands, because... I, I get it's a different spelling, different than normal spelling of Jason. I mean, you see people named Jace, J-A-C-E. So how are you yeah. not getting Jason out of that? And it really bothers me. You'll see people that will have read piles of these books called him Jakin. And it really <laughs> gets under my skin. Now having said all that, I'll probably find out that somebody... That whoever, whether it was Timothy's daughter, whoever initially named him, said, "Oh no, it absolutely was Jacob the whole time. Everybody <laughs> was wrong." But anyhow, I just wanted to point that out because it it always bothered me.
1: The importance of those two names, by the way, uh, Jaina in particular. I know two different people who have named their daughters Jaina because of this character. Good and what she turns into down the road.
0: the One of the coolest people of all time? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, another important thing that happens after Jada and Jason are born, Luke has a vision of Leia and the twins being attacked, and he th- considers possibly running to their aid immediately, but he doesn't. He gives it a second, and it shows character growth because, as we all know, in Episode 5, he he didn't. As soon as he had any inkling that something bad was going to happen, mm-hmm. he did exactly what Yoda asked him not to do and ran away and got his hand cut off. And I think that's just good that they threw that in there for character growth because Luke does have, still at this point in the series, has a long ways to go to become Super Jedi Luke, but it shows him being on his way. And I think that's pretty neat. Right.
1: Uh, so we have yet another attempt <laughs> with Thrawn's Empire trying to kidnap Leia and uh, the twins here. Trying to get Sabaoth, those darn Skywalkers that keep slipping through his fingers. And he actually makes, he makes a comment. Sabaoth does he's he's like are you gonna send a, a Samori or Noguri after him because that that clearly hasn't worked
0: obviously working all the time yeah
1: and Throne's like no I'm I'm sending Imperial intelligence agents after them this time so there is a uh, very exciting action-packed, Sequence of these Imperial intelligence agents going in infiltrating the temple on Coruscant to Mm -hmm. kidnap Leia and the twins and the person that actually ends up saving the day is Mara Jade who's been on Coruscant recovering from her injuries from uh, had been in a coma for a while. Yep. Yeah and she you know telepathically with the force Links up with Leia, and they coordinate uh, a way to get out of the whole mess. And Mar comes in and saves the day. Now, the problem with all of that is Thrawn—he's always got some kind of contingency plan does. to everything that he does. So he has the uh, leader of the, you know, Imperial Intelligence Force admit. To the rebels after he gets captured that Mara is the leak that they've been dun, dun, dun. trying to find. And, you know, basically... She
0: let him in and all this. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Mara's working for the Empire. So immediately the higher-ups in the, in the New Republic believe him mm-hmm. and they put Mara in jail.
0: And it, and it is worth noting that immediately Han and Leia talk about how she's the one that saved him and that she's a good person and they need to know. (laughs) But this is about the 407th time that they've tried to kidnap a Skywalker. (laughs) Right. Okay. So kind of moving on with card card has a whole plot to himself in this book about him trying to rally all his friends that are smugglers against the Empire. And it's it's interesting because as we've talked about before with the, the whole you need that rogue character, Card fills that role in this book. And then it's neat to see him interacting with other people that fill that role that are also smugglers or rogues. And him talking to them about why they should... Go against the empire versus doing what they would have always wanted to do, which is play both sides or whoever's going to pay him to do that. And it, it carries on throughout the book, but it's it is kind of an interesting interesting side plot with with what's going on there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How do you feel about that whole plot? Um, like you said, I, I think it's
1: it's it's interesting because you know in a lot of like tabletop games that I play, there's really three factions in Star Wars. There's the, the rebels or the new Republic, whatever you want to call them. There's the empire or the first order, which is one and the same. And there's, then there's the scum and villainy aspect, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, all of these bounty hunters and smugglers and everybody that's not tied to either side. And it's pretty interesting that you get that group together. Um, and card tries to rally them, like you said, and then, the Imperials show up to uh break up the party. They get into a firefight, and then everybody's like, you know, this card guy might be telling the truth here.
0: Might be onto <laughs> something. Yeah. And of course, with with all this, you kind of mentioned earlier how Thrawn always has a contingency plan. Well, with uh Card trying to get all these smugglers together during one of their meetings, one of the smugglers Uh, Niles Farrier has them attacked by some Imperials. This does not thrill Thrawn, as it were.
1: Yeah, he's he doesn't show temper a whole lot, but he was clearly pissed off at what Farrier.
0: And and as he brought up to him, you know, this makes it so that they are absolutely going to go against the Empire. And he points out the fact that if he was going to go after them, he would have done it better than what this farrier did, and also talks about the fact that he cost him, uh, Imperial lives and things which I think is kind of neat, because it does again show Thrawn does understand that people aren't just throwaway objects, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so Thrawn, again, tries to make the best of what he considers a bad situation and comes up with this plan to have card framed for that attack and so the, the next time that all the smugglers are going to meet, they kind of Put it in play. The plan card realize kind of realizes what's going on that Niles Farrier's rape would have planted something on board his ship, and yeah. he ends up exposing him, and everything is kind of ends up going card's way. But but again, it's just it's a it's a fun deal because it's always kind of fun to see these roguish characters be cool and cards pretty cool in that situation. Cause the way he makes everything happen.
1: Yeah. I'm a big fan of card. And I uh, am too. Yeah. He, he shines here when, uh, when all of this eventually goes down, going back to Coruscant at this point, um, Mara tells Leia that she knows where the cloning facility is that Thrawn's using. And it's on Wayland at uh, Mount Tantis, we we come to find out. And Luke makes his way back to Coruscant at this point, and he decides that Mara needs to go with them. He sure does. They're going to be successful. And in order to do that, they got to break her out of jail. So there's this whole thing that I thought was really cool of they're part of the New Republic, but our core group of heroes throughout Star Wars, you know, at this point, we've got Luke, Han, Lando, Leia, and Chewbacca. They aren't always going to do what they're not they're not followers. No. They're going to do what they think is right, what they think has to be done. And even if it means that the New Republic has her in jail and they got to break her out of jail, they're going to do it. Because they know that that is the path to success for the ultimate safety of the galaxy,
0: yeah and it is and it and it's neat it's uh you know it's been a running theme with them that they're doing their thing. Another thing that I think is worth noting at this point is when they're making all these plans, our core group is making all these plans this is also when Leia decides that uh. The best or one of the ways for the way for her to be protected is to call the dogri and have them have them send send some folks over to protect her, which is pretty neat because it does show that she's she's in. She's into it now. She agrees that they're going to they're going to help out. Plus, it again, it brings them back and they are they are very cool characters. And I believe didn't they show up dressed as Jawas? That's just what I was
1: going to say. Yeah, they describe that and you're like, why are Jawas? on Coruscant and then you realize, oh <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty it's cool. Noguri. That's yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> so as they're getting ready to go, they and they have to break uh Mara out of jail so they can't go. They and they do it and it's 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 all pretty cool. I like it because this is the first time I feel like we're okay. This is a big fun adventure that's going to happen with what is kind of our new group of characters since we're throwing Mara in there now, even though she's not just in every single book the whole time, but she's in a lot of them. It's just, it feels like the start, I guess, to me. Every time I Mm -hmm. read this part in the book, it feels like the start of their, of the rest of their lives.
1: (laughs) Yeah. At least in legends for sure. I mean, I, I got the same feeling too. And, you know, I think separately, When you and I sat down and we compared our notes when we were reading this again, we both pretty much had the same thing of, you feel like this is, it's, it's the, it's like the scene in Jedi when they get on the captured Imperial shuttle and they're all together and they set out and they're like, I don't know if this is going to work, but you know, here we go. This is what we're doing. And it's like, yeah, this is, this is happening and you get all excited because you know you can't wait to see what that group of characters is gonna do and what they're gonna get themselves into and how they're gonna get out of situations. And that's what drives Star Wars for me. Yep. Is those those moments.
0: I agree. So as, as they they made their plans, now at this point, Sabbath has also decided to go back to Wayland. Well, when he gets ready to go, and I I want to bring this up because Every time I read this book, I always have the same thought. He's getting ready to go back, and he asks to have his special clone made. He says, get me, it's from sample such and such number. Every time, the first time, I shouldn't say every time, because I know the answer, but it's like watching Top Gun. I'm not sure Goose is going to die this time, I guess. (laughs) So every time I read that, especially the first time, I thought his special clone that he was wanting to have made was going to be himself. Uh-huh. Every time. And I thought that's what it was gonna be. And it was gonna be there's a lot of examples of him going more and more insane in this book and he he constantly brings up how it's his empire. He he will do with it as he wants and stuff. It just he's going crazy. It's actually one of the things I like lo- like the best. I think the comic book version of this story is really good for that because they do really good at showing his insane facial expressions when he's screaming at people about how this is his yeah. empire and he is just allowing them to do it and you know how he's gonna he's letting them all live for now, type of stuff like that, but anyway, every time I read it, I think it's gonna be himself because I always wonder, and I can never remember when I'm reading it does he does he realize he's a clone? does he not realize he's a clone? You know what I mean, and I always kind of yeah. think he he must know he's a clone, but does as he goes more and more insane, is he forgetting that he's a clone? And not just you know the greatest Jedi <laughs> of all time, but I I always think that's interesting because it, it it leaps out at you, and I know I'm sure I'm playing right into the writer's hands with thinking that he's asking for a clone of himself.
1: <laughs> yeah, that part that part is pretty interesting because um, what you come to find out has some pretty pretty crazy ramifications on the rest of this story, mm-hmm. and we can get into this. In our uh, episode where we compare, you know, this trilogy with the new Disney canon, but the idea of not only Luke's lightsaber that he had on Bespin that he lost when he got his hand chopped off obviously has a very ginormous role in the new, uh, you know, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, but is his where they get this? sample for this clone that we're coming up to see towards the end of this book is in one of the drafts of The Force Awakens. One of the early, early drafts. That they find his hand. That in and of itself is pretty interesting as well. But uh, we can we can talk more about that on... You'll just have to wait for that episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey. uh, so... Thrawn decides to attack Coruscant at this point, and he leaves behind um, a little present for the New Republic in orbit around the planet. You want to uh, you want to talk about that?
0: I always liked the cloaked asteroids deal. I thought that was a neat idea. I think it's a good example of Thrawn being smart, I guess, or cunning because. He gets, mm-hmm. I think it's 22 asteroids. He cloaks them, shoots them out over Coruscant, and makes it, he kind of sets it up so they destroy one of them. And so they can see what they, see what, what has happened is that they had a cloaked asteroid destroyed it, he gets it away so they can't find the cloaking device. But when he does this, he makes it seem as though he hasn't sent out 22, but something more like, 300, I think it's 280, so it's close to 300 asteroids even though he's only ever sent out 22. And so the uh-huh. New Republic is stuck on Coruscant because they don't think they can fly out without their ships getting shredded. And I always thought right. that was so neat because it was, as the way the story goes, it was minimal products, I guess in a in the maximum effect. He, he has them thinking or assuming that they have all these asteroids that they're not totally sure how they can find, they're not totally sure what they'll do about it or how long it could take, and so they go through and it's mentioned, I think it's mentioned more than once that they they have got twenty two of them, but there's still this many out there, and it's not till later on when that when cards there and had actually seen Thrawn get these twenty two asteroids that they realized oh we've gotten them all quite a while ago, and it kept them stuck there for so long with what's essentially just a good idea. And I think it's neat. I think it was kind of fun. Yeah, it's kind of like putting, uh,
1: you know, some landmines around, you know, it's in space and they're cloaked. You can't see mm-hmm. them, but it's it's the same effect of putting landmines around something on the ground, you know, on earth. It kind of has that same effect. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on, there is a very long process mm-hmm. Where we finally about find three out books worth <laughs> what this where this leak is in the New Republic and even even in the book while you're reading it not only has it lasted for three books but this chapter or however many chapters this bleeds out through where they're trying to figure this out man going back and rereading it I was just like let's <laughs> let's I already know what's going to happen because yep. I've read it before but. You might not feel that way if it's your first time reading it, but they eventually find out what Delta Source is. And Delta Source is spoiler alert, the plants in a hallway in the temple on Coruscant. Yeah. How do how do you uh how do you feel about that?
0: We have a moment later on where we're going to talk about what we don't necessarily like about this book, and we may as well just save it till then. <laughs> <laughs> so that it's it's neither we, here nor there but yeah, yeah it's it's it is what it is they found the it it was a bug in a plant. yeah, anyhow, <laughs> well, that extreme bit of excitement's going on where we're searching for a garden uh <laughs> and the rest of us rest of our heroes are over on whale and they've made their way there. And they are now going through the force of Wayland to get to Mount Tantis. And along the way, Luke has decided that Mara needs to be as up with the force as she can be. So he kind of is starting a crash course. And I think in there she even brings up again, well, why are you going to do this? Because I'm still super going to kill you. And again, Luke's (laughs) kind of in the nicest way possible says, cool. (laughs) We both know you're not going to do that. Uh, But It is kind of neat to see Luke kind of start training somebody else a little bit.
1: Yeah. Because you knew it was coming at some point. You know, when Yoda tells him in Jedi, pass on what you have learned. Mm -hmm. You know that Luke is going to have to train somebody at some point. So it's pretty interesting how he does this like crash course in, you know, teaching Mara while they're going through the jungle on their way to like this huge you know climactic encounter inevitable fight yeah he's like oh crap <laughs> i better i better show her some some moves here yeah before before we get there
0: wait are you talking about force moves or well, sexy moves
1: the the sexy moves come later okay
0: i can't wait <laughs> uh also while we're while we're going through the forest they keep getting the feeling that there's some of the natives are trailing them or possibly even maybe coming after. Well, we eventually find out that, yeah, they are. However, there's also a group of Nogri that have been, I believe eight of them, two in the front, two in the back and two on each side, they say, and they've been <laughs> not allowing the, the natives to come close. And again, it just shows, it's just another example of, yeah, of course the Nogri were there and were silent and were helping out and wanted no praise for it just because they wanted to help.
1: Yeah. That's awesome.
0: It is neat. They're
1: like, they're they're like Star Wars ninjas.
0: They really are. And uh it's also cool because I can't remember the exact sequence of events and I should probably have written it down better, but I always liked it because when they are talking to the natives and they're telling him, No, we w- we just want to help and they we've been told this a million times and yada yada, it's just one conqueror after another. And then they, they notice Chewbacca holding the bow caster and they say something about him having the bow caster and they're like, Well yeah, and they say, Oh, he's not a slave. Did you you know, kind of did you think that he was a slave and not just our friend? And so then they're all <laughs> all about it. And I always thought that was yeah. kind of neat that they they had this sudden realization that not everybody's just there to be pieces of crap like the Emperor was.
1: Right. You know, and while the Nogri are there, they have a a little interaction and we find out that uh, well we, we kinda already you know, maybe understood this, but Mara didn't know that Luke was Vader's son. Um, it was one of the Nogri that that told her. Which I thought was pretty interesting because we as, you know, viewers of the movies and readers of all these books, we obviously know this and we take it for granted and we never think about that. The rest of the galaxy doesn't know that.
0: Doesn't know that Darth Vader was Anakin Skywalker.
1: Yeah. So, you know, when it's revealed to Mara, you know, it's, it, it has an impact. Sabaoth contacts her through the Force. And, you know, through all of this, they find out that Sabaoth is on his way to Wayland. So that's when they realize that they better get ready for, you know, the inevitable encounter that's coming up.
0: So speaking of Sabaoth and Force contacting Leia or not Leia, but Mara, and Force in general. This point, he has also started using the Force to mind control General Koval on Mount Tantis, and I always thought this part was neat, I guess, for lack of a better word in the books. Brutal, for another word, because this is... Disturbing. Disturbing. This isn't something that we've (laughs) seen before, with somebody just straight taking somebody's mind and essentially tearing it apart. Because he mm-hmm. does control General Koval, has him saying stuff, has him doing things, and then when they hit the Isolamari and he loses control, General Koval dies because there is yeah. nothing. Everything is broken. So Sabyoth knew he was going to kill him doing this. So it just it's another example of him going insane. But it's also, it's super brutal. I mean, kind of brutal for a Star Wars thing.
1: Yeah, again going into the. Disney canon stuff that, again, we'll go into more on on its own show. But I just wanted to mention real quick. It kind of gives you that weird, creepy feeling, like when Kylo Ren is is digging through Rey's mind, trying to you know get the information that he wants, and it's it's kind of rapey.
0: <laughs> it is. <laughs> you know what it I is mean? A little bit.
1: It's 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 just disturbing, and that's kind of what this reminded me of. It kind of had that same creepy feel to it. And I'm not saying I don't want it in the book. I do want it because it, like you said, it further lets you understand where Sabayoth is in his own head. And it's dissenting into total madness.
0: It really is. <laughs> so, with all that stuff, speaking of Sabayoth losing connection to the Force and General Koval, mind getting getting his mind melted because of it, it's at this point that Leia realizes that Thrawn has been going, being able to make those clones grow so fast because the way they have the force cut off from them is the way I understand it so she knows mm-hmm. that there's a bunch of Isla Mari on there and they'll be around Mount Tantis she also knows that that's where Luke is and where he is going and she knows he relies on the force a lot and he will not have it when he gets there so she now wants to get there to warn him as quickly as possible Right. So a whole lot happens right in that little time frame with her, and she she wants to get there. So we get another adventure starting because Card is now at thought This is when he was able to, like we talked about earlier, tell them about the asteroids. But Card's there, so she wants him to go to Wayland with her as quickly as possible to warn Luke. So we get another part of our adventurers get to go join the fray now.
1: Yeah, everybody winds up together. As it should be. Yeah, all of our major players end up together on Whalen at Mount Tantus for this, you know, climax to this trilogy, which is pretty cool. And of course, everybody realizes that uh, they're going to have to blow this sucker up. And that's the only way that they're going to, you know, stop the, the clone production and everything like that. So they infiltrate Mount Tantus and... We have the, it's kind of funny now you look back on it, but you have the stereotypical Star Wars throne room lightsaber fight scene. Battle Royale. Yeah, Battle Royale, Final Encounter, which is really cool, by the way. It's like, you know, some of my favorite moments in any of the movies. That's that's the moment. Mm -hmm. But you've also got, you know, in the background, Wedge. And the space battle that's happening, you know, off to the side at the mm-hmm. same time. So it's like in Jedi when Luke and Vader, you know, are dueling on the Death Star. And then you have all the cutscenes of the space battle happening all at the same time. So there's a whole lot going on right now. And uh, Luke and Mara confront Sabaoth in this clone room. Or in... Throne. The clone room. Throne Oh, room. <laughs> I guess it is kind of a clone room <laughs> because... We, we see the clone that Sabayath ordered, and it was Luke Skywalker, his clone. Spelled with two U's. Luke
0: Skywalker. Luke, yes.
1: <laughs> and it's his clone made from his hand that, he, that Vader chopped off in Bespin. Now, I have a question.
0: I have an answer.
1: Luke goes down the service tube or air vent or whatever it is in Bespin and ends up hanging on that like weather antenna. Right. Dangling. When that door opens, does his hand not do we not see his hand fall into the depths of this gas planet before he falls out and hits that antenna? Cause I'm a hundred percent sure that we do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well and it was preserved.
1: I've always wondered and I'm sure Disney at some point is going to explain where whoever found that lightsaber.
0: Definitely count on it.
1: I don't remember necessarily seeing the lightsaber fall out of that hole, but I'm
0: pretty sure I saw his
1: hand fall out of that hole. Yeah. And it always made me wonder at this point, well, where in the hell did they find his hand to get a sample of you know his DNA to make this clone? But it's Star Wars. I'm not going to... You know, I'm not gonna get too hung up about it. But uh it always it always makes me wonder at that point, you know, what's going on.
0: It's uh yeah, it's it is an interesting question. The thing it always makes me wonder is they they just dive into this whole cloning thing. Could they not have cloned another hand for Luke so he wouldn't have to have a robot hand? I mean is that not robot hands are cooler. That's true. They're unfeeling. Sometimes they get a mind of their own and just start murdering people. But I always think that, like, if you could grow a clone of fifteen. Maybe the hand would have been insane though.
1: Would have so been. Would he? Would he have had like a baby hand? A little to baby. And
0: it had grown, he but would, then it like gone through an angsty teen period where it's just constantly. Yeah going after himself <laughs> but maybe and then some. it gets
1: arthritis as it gets older I mean, and then like within like three months it, he can't you know
0: do anything. he can't gotta, use it anymore an, and then gotta, it's dead can't use it for what you really want to use it for and then you gotta get a new hand <laughs> that could be I don't know just seems like his, I, th- I think we just answered our own question probably so either way Luke gets to fight his own his own clone which is great. Um, Leia and Card have arrived at this point, and eventually everybody gets to join into the, th- gets to meet in the throne room to watch Luke fight his identical twin, Luke. And Mara, Mara's watching Sabiath villain monologues the whole time to let her know what's happening. And uh, and we also get to see Sabayoth do some, some force lightning and things like that to show that he is, he is powerful. Whether he's insane or not, he's powerful. But this is finally to our big payoff at the end. And we get to see what happens.
1: Yeah. So, for starters, Han Han gets force lightning. He does. By sabeoth Which, which, which right is pretty brutal. But, uh, you know, all of this stuff is going down. And Luke asks sabeoth to let them all go. And he'll stay and cooperate with him. So that's kind of Luke's bargain with Sabeoth is to get get everybody out of here I'll do whatever you say just let them go you know blah 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 so Mara force force grabs Leia's lightsaber and uh, she takes out Luke's clone she does in in one in one swipe pretty much and she she embraces the emperor's quote unquote spell that he has Mm -hmm. that has been in her mind through this whole trilogy that you will kill Luke Skywalker. You will kill Luke Skywalker. And she uses that hate fuel to strike that clone down. (laughs) And, uh, once that happens, it's like, uh, Mara's mind is clear now. It's free of, of the emperor's spell. All of that's gone. And, uh, you know, that, that whole thing that's been happening throughout this whole trilogy finally comes to an end.
0: It does. Uh, Something that probably bears being mentioned is that uh, Leia's lightsaber that Mara grabs is green. It is. As opposed to another color. What other color did you think it should be? (laughs) Am I
1: remembering incorrectly or am I totally making this up but I thought at some point she had Darth Vader's lightsaber I believe she
0: does I th- I thought the same thing but in this trilogy at one point isn't there a comment made I think even by Han that it's time for her to get her own lightsaber and Luke says I'll build you one anytime you want yeah I think you're right so maybe he did build that, but I, th- I had the same thought because I think at some point she, well, I shouldn't say, I think I'm about 90% sure at some point she's hauling Darth Vader's lightsaber around.
1: Yeah. I I thought that too. And when I went back and reread this and saw that it was green, I was like, wait a minute. I thought she had Darth Vader's for some reason, but I'm probably getting all confused and, you know, all the massive Star Wars that's in my brain. Yeah. It's taking up space where probably more important things should be, but
0: yeah. Well, either way, Mara had it. She took out Lauk and he's dead now and the like you said, the spell is taken off of her. Mm-hmm. kinda goes nuts at this point and starts yeah. raining down rocks and such. So Mara's killing days aren't over.
1: <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> That's right.
0: She's got she's got another one to go after and she then is able to strike down Sabayoth with with help. I mean, Luke helps a little. Leia helps some, but mm-hmm. she does. She does get the killing blow, and it's it is it's it's good to see her get it because she does express to Luke before this ever happens that she doesn't want to go face Sabiaw. That's not something yeah. she wants to do because she's scared. Is you know is what she's saying, and Luke says, "Oh, we we have to." And don't worry, we're gonna have many, many, many adventures, baby. <laughs> believe he says.
1: You know, looking f- into the the books that come after this. This point where she she takes out Luke's clone and then she straight up kills Sabaoth, that kind of plants her as being, you know, the badass that she is. Yes. And sets her off on this path of, you know, through legends of, man, she's a force to be reckoned with, basically. Unless you have a syringe. <laughs> True. That's that's for that's for another podcast. That is. So we uh, we flash to the Chimera, and we get to see the fate of Thrawn. We do. You wanna you wanna explain that?
0: Pelion is told that Wayland's under attack by the natives, by the rebels, and also by the Nogri. And kaboom, Rook. Ru- Stabs Thrawn right in the chest. And it he sure does. And he's dead now. And it's, and I think Rook makes a comment in there. I don't remember what he says, but says something about, you know, you're welcome. <laughs> I don't know what he says, but <laughs> we're out from under you or whatever. But Rook kills Thrawn, does not kill Paleon, although he probably very well considers it at that point. And it's cool because that means that, that, shows how good the Dogri were at getting the message out because Rook is with Thrawn all the time. But he yeah. still knew that, A, they Thrawn, or the Empire, Emperor and Vader and all that were not good people and had done what they had done, or the Emperor especially. Thrawn's just using them. And he still keeps his calm and his cool and is collected the whole time until the time is right for him to do what he needs to do. Or do what he probably really, really would like to do, and he finally gets to do it. I remember the first time I read this, I reread that part several times, started to, whoa, did that, is that guy dead now? And he yeah. really was. He was just dead. That was it.
1: Yeah, that. Yeah, that. I kind of felt the same way. You're kind of the first time you read it, you're kind of confused or not confused. You're more shocked than anything that yeah, he's dead, and this is this is how it went down. I think that it's a proper death for Thrawn. I do too. Thrawn isn't the—he's not like Sabaoth and he's not gonna be in a lightsaber fight or in a gun battle or blowing up on a spaceship or anything. He's not gonna be in the middle of the action.
0: No, nowhere in this, nowhere in these three books has he been shown to throw hands. So it right. does make sense. And-
1: yeah, with Thrawn not being in the action, it's kind of makes sense for him to die this way, because he's a schemer. Uh, he he is calculating, and the Noguri basically turned the tables on him, and they are the ones who have out schemed him, who have outthought him at this point, and and that's what ends up getting him killed. Mm-hmm. Is somebody outsmarting him basically like coming out of nowhere he didn't know this was gonna happen and boom it you did get a big old he get a big old knife in your chest
0: you do <laughs> what tiny pointy knife so now that Thrawn's dead that puts Paleon in charge and he sees how everything's going whalen Mount tantus the they're they're losing the space battle too and so he orders a retreat but I this is important because So I said, this puts Paleon in charge, and as we'll learn throughout these books, Paleon's pretty, I mean, he becomes fairly important. He stays with the Empire for a very, very long time.
1: Right, exactly. Um, So everything pretty much, you know, Paleon reluctantly orders a retreat. Everything's wrapped up on Mount Tantus. They escape just in time while the whole thing blows up and whatnot. So as we're winding the story down, I think it's back on Coruscant and Luke asks Mara to be a liaison between the New Republic and Cards Smuggler Alliance. Mm-hmm. And Luke gives Mara his old lightsaber, and by his old lightsaber, I mean the one that used to be Anakin's, that Obi-Wan gave Luke, that Luke lost on Cloud City, that is now in the hands of Mara. and you know, in the Disney canon, this is the lightsaber that Ray ends up having and her and Kylo fight over. And it's kind of interesting that that lightsaber has such a, a huge part of both the Legends and the Disney canon. And I think, you know, looking back, we may not have realized the first time we read this how big of a deal. I mean, you knew it was a big deal that he gave her this lightsaber. Because it it meant a lot to him. But going back and knowing everything that we know now and him giving her this lightsaber, that's a a pretty big moment, I think.
0: I do, too. It is a big deal because I think at this point, Luke's starting to see her as the first in his new Jedi order that he's supposed to create, as Yoda asked him to. Yeah. As opposed to... Sitting on an island, <laughs> doing nothing. But anyway. Squeezing squeeze the teeth. Of squeeze. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think this is his first real step into that, because in my mind, and I, I, I'm going to be off on this, but I want to think this is around five years after Jedi. Yeah. And uh he has it started his new jedi order yet now i'm not saying he hasn't been busy in over those five years but i in my mind this is always this is the point where it's like okay yeah this is gonna happen i'm gonna do this thing now even Mm -hmm. though he doesn't just necessarily straight out say it there and it's a little while yet before he does it but this is the point and his big gift to to Mara. of course we've talked about mara a lot and this will be big spoilers if you if this is if this is your way of hearing the stories versus ever reading them, hopefully you're reading them or have read them. But we know that later on Luke and Mara get together in Funky Town. And so They you, bump uglies. They do. So you kind of wonder at this point, do you think Timothy Zone and or the story group already knew that that was going to be Luke and Mara's endgame game or or did is that just was that you know a natural occurrence later on that they decide, you know what these two sure would make a cute couple.
1: I personally think that this was probably premeditated. I agree. I absolutely agree. <laughs> I think it's hard to it's hard for this to be a coincidence with you know all the things that have happened and and for them to feel the way that they do about each other. I mean they don't necessarily love each other or anything like that in this trilogy. It's quite the opposite when they first meet, but um, I I think they probably had this planned out beforehand.
0: And I I think that they... I really think that they had it planned out. I think that they really wanted to take the time and put in the effort to having Luke's eventual mate be somebody that could be considered as close to even footing with the savior of the galaxy as they could be. And Mara yeah. pretty well fits the bill. I mean, we've talked about how she's a badass and all that stuff and really becomes one more so later on, but she really does stay toe to toe with Luke in the, in the way they are throughout the, all these books. And so I think they wanted to make sure that whoever they were going to put him with was as strong a characters as they possibly could. And I think she fits that bill pretty, pretty well. So yeah. but either way that kind of wraps up uh, this book and the trilogy. So <laughs> we gave a maybe gave a little preview before but is there anything about this book in particular that you don't like?
1: Yeah, I think we both agree and we can both kind of elaborate on it. The the thing that that neither one of us were too keen on was the Delta Source thing. I mean it's they kind of needed a way for Thrawn to figure out some things that that the New Republic had planned, so that he could, uh, you know, scheme against those plans. But man, I thought it was way too drawn out, especially oh. over the course of these three books. And then when you finally fi- find out what it is, it's just kind of like, really, that's what we've been building up for this whole time. I don't know. It,
0: it was literally. It'd be what well, felt like it was literally an electronic bug. That's all. That's all it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The whole exactly. time we've got a spy here. Oh, oh no! It was just a. It was just a planted listening device this whole time. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. It would have been more interesting if it was like they had speculated maybe a droid or something that had yeah. been walking around with them. No, it wasn't.
0: It was a plant. <laughs> no big deal. But And maybe yeah. it's because if they were going to actually have it be a spy, it would have felt like they were just introducing somebody for no reason just to be a spy because it probably wasn't yeah. going to be any of the main characters or anybody that became a main character in this book. So that was their way of getting around it. And maybe they just couldn't figure out... I mean, you could have even just said, they're all politicians, they're, they're for sale. So maybe he's just getting information from various sources because they're corrupt, awful politicians. Like, all oh, politicians? I don't know, just anything, so that you wouldn't have to yeah. necessarily pin it on one person to have it come down to, because have it come down to being a plant, and he brings up to Paleon, because Paleon doesn't know what it is either and how someday he's going to get to be the one to be in charge of Delta Source and all this stuff, and oh, that's really cool. Don't forget to water it. Or it'll die, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Uh, and that's, it is a, that is, a, of these three books, that is one, and I don't know, maybe it seems petty, but it is an actual gripe I have. I just don't, I don't like it, and I don't like how drawn out it is, and it's really disappointing to see that. Right. As far as other things in the book, though, that I don't like, there's really... Not a whole lot. They fit a whole lot into this book, and something I've gone—I've kind of actually something that I—I I should say that I used to kind of grumble about was the way Sabath goes more and more insane in the book. And I say used to mm-hmm. grumble about it because, as I've read the book more times now, I actually kind of appreciate that. And honestly, this and a lot of it probably has to do with the comic book. This is the first time I'd read the comic book, and I love the way it's portrayed. In the comic just with the look on his face and all that. And so, well, it's, uh... that's a former grumble. And one other thing, I will say though, real quick. Yeah, we kind of talked about it earlier, but with the way Thrawn dies, the first time I read it, I had to did have to reread it a few times because did that really happen? They're just gonna take the main the main villain, and it's just he's just dead. But mm-hmm. it's a it, and the first time I read it, I think I even kind of got mad about it until I get I reread it. realized, no, that makes perfect sense for all the reasons we were saying. So. There's my couple gripes, two of which are not actually (laughs) gripes anymore. (laughs) They're not
1: valid anymore.
0: They are valid anymore, no. Well, let's go into our character spotlight.
1: Our character spotlight for this episode is none other than the crazy Dark Jedi himself, Sabaoth. Yes we'd figure we'd give him a proper send off since this is, this is it for this character. And he played a pretty important role throughout this trilogy. Um, like you were saying about Sabiath's insanity, you know, it's kind of, um, it's kind of old hat to have a villain be, you know, the crazy, yeah. crazy villain or whatever. But I really liked it. I really liked the way Sabiath was portrayed here. And I, think that when you find out that he's a clone there it adds that whole other element of uh mystery almost to this character it's pretty interesting later on because there's a whole book devoted to who this character's actual you know Sabea this is the clone the actual original guy gets his own book later on and yeah. that we'll we'll get to that eventually but what did you think about Sabiath as a whole?
0: I think Sabiath is important because he is the first, even though he's a clone, he's the first fully trained Jedi we've seen outside of Yoda and Obi-Wan. So mm-hmm. he's kind of filling a big role. And so when you first see, thinking, so is this how, is this really how Jedi acted? It's established almost immediately that he is insane. And that, <laughs> and of course that he's a clone and all that stuff. but. There's some things they do with him that you wonder about, one of which or one of which is the shooting shooting lightning at his fingertips, so you don't know so is that just a dark jedi thing do does that what dark jedi do, and he also he doesn't use a lightsaber or at least he does it in these three books. He's important if for no other reason than he's our first our first vision of a jedi in in these mm-hmm. in the expanded universe. The other thing about him, though. Oh, go ahead. Oh, as I say, the other thing about him is as as important as he is for those reasons. I, I by the time I'm done with these three books, he I'm ready for him to be gone. I do not feel bad that they are getting rid of him, and I, I think I've yeah. said that before on here. He serves his purpose, but it's easy to kind of start to lose interest in him, even with as cool as him going insane is. It's just kind of like, okay, get it over with. Slice him in twain and move on. (laughs) Does it bother you that in
1: the original trilogy, we're led to believe that uh, Luke and Leia are the last ones or that Obi-Wan and Yoda were the last of the Jedi? And then we get into these expanded universe books.
0: (laughs) And they're everywhere?
1: (laughs) And there's Mara. There's Sabaoth, you know, and it's like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. I thought there weren't any more. Why are all these people here? Does that, does that ever bother you or do you ever think about that?
0: I think it probably at one point it may have, but anymore, whatever I think about it, doesn't. Because, you know, they portray this as this isn't even Earth where we, we live on Earth, this world. This is a whole galaxy with countless planets. And if the Jedi were the peacekeepers of the galaxy, I think at some points it's mentioned that out on the Outer Rim, the Jedi are known about, but aren't all the ways even all the way believed in because they never see them. I'm talking about when Jedi were prevalent in the galaxy. Uh-huh. But either way, if, if they are peacekeepers of the galaxy, even during the Clone Wars, if they were all f- if they were fighting it, they wouldn't have all been fighting in it. So there's just no way someone wouldn't have survived Order 66. And then what happened after that? Did they get them all hunted down? I'm sure they hunted down most of them, but they probably still never quite caught all of them. So, yeah. you guys are almost the last of the Jedi. <laughs> that would, <laughs> or you are almost the last of the Jedi is what I should say. That wouldn't. Have, it just it wouldn't have made sense. And no, oh, I'm sure George it wouldn't Lucas have had that had,
1: big of an impact.
0: Right. and I'm sure George Lucas wasn't too concerned with. Boy, if they make a whole pile of books, I bet they're going to have to introduce some (laughs) Jedi that were floating around. So, no, it doesn't really bother me.
1: Yeah, that was probably last on on his mind. Probably so. If if at all. Yeah. So, we're going to talk real briefly here about um, the tabletop role-playing game that we like to nerd out about. So, if you were playing uh, the tabletop role-playing game, the Star Wars role-playing game, at this point during the Last Command era or the the Throne Trilogy era, but more more specifically, what we're talking about here with the Last Command, what kind of character or uh, career do you think would be a, a good one to play during this time period?
0: I think if you're gonna if you're going to play along with the the events of The Last Command, of course, I'd love to just jump into the shoes of, of Luke Skywalker and become him, but that's probably not going to happen <laughs> for this. But if you're going to be playing along at this <laughs> time, you kind of think about all the heroes be, go, doing their thing as we talk about our group of heroes defying orders and going to Wayland and all that stuff, breaking Mara out. Instead, I think what would happen is you'd be part of New Republic and uh, maybe be a pilot in an X-Wing. Mm-hmm. Taking place and taking part in all the battles going on. Yeah, I think being a pilot would be uh, would be
1: the right thing to do here because we've got Wedge, and we didn't really talk a whole lot about Wedge's adventures throughout this book, but he's there quite a bit, and uh, I think it would be cool to be flying in an X-wing or even on a capital ship. Because there is a lot of space combat that's happening right now. There's a lot of things to be doing. You could be trying to thwart Thrawn and the Empire from, you know, at the beginning of the book, they're trying to take over the, the food producing planet. You could be guarding planets like that, or you could be the first responders to those types of situations. And I think would yep. that would be, uh, that'd be something that would be fun and exciting to dive into. I agree. So, moving on to the final rating for the Thrawn trilogy, we've got The Last Command. How many severed limbs are you going to chop off for this book?
0: Well, as much as I do like this book, it is my least favorite of the Heir to the Empire trilogy. Having said that, I will still give it a 4 out of 5. Mm-hmm. Destructively severed limbs, because I do really like it, but there are some things that drag it out a little bit. The biggest one being the dadgum plant that's spying on people, <laughs> and I don't know why that that really does bother me. It's just such a, it's just not a good payoff, I guess. And yeah. I'm sh- I say I say that over and over again without having an answer. Really, I gave I guess a couple very terrible ideas. I'm sure. About what maybe it could have been, and just don't have a good answer. But apparently, no one did, or worse, <laughs> they thought they had a great answer. I don't know. <laughs> people are gonna eat this up when we tell them it was a a lettuce plant <laughs> spying on
1: people. Well, uh, I think that out of the out of these three books, I think we agree that the first one is our favorite. You might like the second one better.
0: I waffle back and forth on the first and the yeah. second. In my mind, it's always the second one. But like I said, this time when I read it, I kind of had to back off of that just because there are some things that drag it down. Yeah. But the first one I still think is just—it's just its importance is off the charts. Right.
1: I I tend to lean towards the second one, and this is like incredibly nitpicky because this trilogy mm-hmm. as a whole is is fantastic, but. I tend to lean towards the second one being my least favorite of the three, and this one being slightly ahead of that. And that's just because, like I've mentioned before, I'm a big action guy, and I really like the third act of this book with the Mount Tantus action going on. Mm Mm-hmm. And the, the ball is, you know, rolling down the hill at that point with with the plot and everything comes to a head and, and everything that happens. I gave Air to the Empire a four. I think I gave Dark Force Rising a 3.5. I'm giving this one a 3.75. Smack it in the middle. Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna lop off a couple legs and an arm, and then I'm gonna sever that last arm, not all the way, but like right, right through the bicep. So that you leave like a little stumpy right there. Good. You know? It deserves it. So there you go. (laughs) Well, that sounds good. (laughs) So that's it. That's the Thrawn trilogy from Legends. We hope that you guys read it if you haven't already. And we hope that uh, we didn't spoil too many things if you haven't already read it. Or maybe if you haven't and you listen to this, maybe that inspires you to go out and get the trilogy and, and read it. And if you do any of that stuff, be sure to like us on Facebook and feel free to leave comments and feedback because uh, we like to hear that kind of stuff. Yep.
0: We want to know what you thought of the book, too. I'm sure, sure your opinions are probably better than ours. <laughs> that is for sure. <laughs> but either way, next time we are around talking, we're going to talk about Thrawn some more by talking about Thrawn in the the new disney canon what what has happened with him so far in that so listen to us next time thank you very much bye bye and may the force of others be with you
1: you've been listening to the guardians of the wheels podcast this podcast is not affiliated with disney or lucasfilm and is meant for entertainment and educational purposes only